Morning of Medical presents Dr. G at the Heart of Healthcare. The mission of our podcast is to educate and empower, helping people see what's needed to navigate the healthcare system. In three parts, you will enjoy a story, the theme of the show, you will be educated with a teaching point, and you will be empowered with a valuable resource. Welcome to episode 12 of Dr. G at the Heart of Healthcare, Residency Edition. Interns, are you comfortable discussing life and death? Thank you for joining me today. I'm actually sitting here on our cruise ship, but I have to release this episode because it's a big week for the new interns. Residency starts, everything switches, and so I wanted to make sure I get this episode out to you. I have a special guest, Dr. Michelle Roulette. She'll be starting her palliative medicine fellowship at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. I interviewed her on the first day of summer, and we put this med-ed show together for all the new physicians starting residency in 2023. Congratulations to all of you on your new journey and Look for the video of this interview on YouTube, July 1st. I want to first orient you to the topic by introducing some social media highlights. Med Twitter, hashtag Med Twitter is important. First, I want you to follow me on Twitter. If you don't have one, get one. We do a lot of education on there. My personal account is Dr. Mama K, D-R-M-A-M-A-K-A-I, and I will keep you right. I post articles that can help you shine on the wards, and you'll also get a little football. I advocate for family and health care. Next, I want you to follow Burgart Bioethics, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. She's my friend. We actually went to the Lizzo concert. We met during the pandemic. She's a bioethicist and pediatric anesthesiologist at Stanford. And Dr. Burgard, she asked a question on Twitter a couple weeks ago. It was June 9th to be exact. She said, new interns arrive soon. Attendings, how will you lead with empathy and mentorship? I'll start. I won't be an attending who yells at trainees. It's abusive and doesn't support learning. Share your wisdom. So she had a call to action for us. So I replied, Dr. G at the heart of healthcare, we will be releasing a podcast episode for interns. After this podcast episode, I hope you feel equipped to facilitate advanced care planning, perform primary palliative care, and engage in end-of-life conversations with patients and their families during your, during your first shift. I want you all to be conversation champions on day one. If not physicians, then who? Also, go listen to episode two that I released on National Healthcare Decisions Day. That's kind of the counterpart to this episode. 
because this one is for the doctors. This is what we need to do to make healthcare better. Don't be afraid. It's primary palliative care that we're going to talk about. It's as simple as asking a patient the question, what matters to you? So I have a few tips for you before I start this recording. These are Dr. G's tips. The threshold of referral to palliative is not when your specialty team is done with the patient. I remember when I was in residency, there was a patient who was in stage liver. He was yellow, as yellow could be. And I tried to get a palliative referral. I was rebuked by a GI fellow for involving palliative care. But guess what? This gone. This guy was gone within a week. And I regret it not pushing a little bit more for him. Number two, when patients and families aren't accepting of limited prognosis, these questions can help. Do you want to die in the hospital? Do you want your insert relationship to die in the hospital? Most people will answer no or will seek clarity on their limited life expectancy. Number three, quote, frequent flyers feel safe in the hospital. Have compassion about the symptoms they're suffering from. Don't be frustrated. Something needs to be addressed like social determinants of health. Number four, use translation services every time there is a language barrier with the patient and their family. Number five, attend family meetings to facilitate goals of care conversations. Explain the disease trajectory and the interventions completed and available. Number six, pull out your smartphone or other device to explain the disease process to the patient and their families. Use anatomical cartoons. Many times I've heard people say, no one ever told me that. Most likely they never understood what their primary care doctor told them. People typically don't want to waste the doctor's time or feel like they're, quote, stupid. Um, I remember an article about that in Humanities. So they may not have asked follow-up questions and they just kind of go along with the diagnosis and without fully understanding it. Number seven, prognostication is within our scope of practice. Tell patients which stage of a disease they're at and which interventions are curative versus palliative. Number eight, help with advanced directive planning during your primary care clinic. I also wanna lastly introduce you to another account that I just discovered. It's on Med Twitter, Sammy Winemaker. She's a Canadian colleague. Um, she put out a few tips on the 12th of June how to infuse palliative care early in the illness. Number one, invite patients and families to learn the storyline of their illness. Number two, honest communication for better or worse. Number three, anticip anticipate decision points and transitions. Number four, constant assessment of informational needs. She also has a set of Monday through Friday mnemonic tweets dated June 19th to 23rd. Those are some great tips, so I would suggest looking those up. 
Ultimately, it's imperative that residency programs make it top priority to provide organized palliative care didactics to equip interns for their jobs. This should happen before any patient care begins. You are doctors now. The key elements of Dr. Ouellette's training are, have three content areas. Number one, what is palliative and hospice care? Number two, what's the structure of a goals of care conversation? And number three, how do you identify a legal decision maker? Some of those synonyms are proxy, surrogate, POA, DPOA. So go ahead, sit back and enjoy enjoy the episode and share it with your senior residents, chief residents, program directors, mentors, and let's see if we can get residency right at the end of life and provide amazing end-of-life care to the public. I think we should, you know, kind of put a bite-sized little, I guess, mini clinic, mini med school, mini residency um, thing together for anyone who listens to this and, you know, maybe the chief residents or whoever's inspired to be a leader like you were in residency, they can, you know, take it to their program and present it for noon conference. Um, So I I wrote down the notes here, you know, uh, the three content areas. So we'll just go through them, I guess, and take turns. The first you said is what is palliative care and hospice? We need to Mm -hmm. define it so they know, right? Yep, absolutely. I think like, how are they similar? How are they different? Um, And one big point that we emphasized in our training was when you use those words, making sure that you and the patient are talking about the same thing. So very recently, Mm -hmm. I had a patient who I mentioned hospice, and she was like, well, no, 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 I don't want to go to hospice. And, Mm -hmm. And really realizing that you have to get on the same page, have the same definitions and, and understand where your patient's coming from. And you can only do that if you understand those things yourself. And I learned a lot from the training, having thought, you know, I had some expertise already. Right. And then I go into the training and like, wow, I actually learned so much from this. So that was the first key area that we focused on that I think is huge for incoming trainees. Wow. And then the structure of a goals of care conversation. What are goals of care? Yeah, so we focused a lot on defining that, right? Exactly like you said, and and sitting down with the patient and having the skills to pull out what are the patient's goals from the conversation. So really um, using different tools like nurse statements, like, um, you know, wish worry statements, all those kinds of things to get from the patient, what is most important to them in whatever time that they may have um, related to their chronic illness um, and how, what is quality to them, right? Like what is a quality life? What is the quality time period? Um, and, And trying to see if there's any particular goals, events, things that are really important to them that they want to get to or milestones that are really important to them and arranging their care around those things and making decisions with them around those goals. Yeah. Hearing you say that, you know, makes me think about some people, you know, every culture is different, you know, some cultures, you know, they're taboo about talking about death. Like you Mm -hmm. really cannot mention that. Um, 
some, you know, cultures, they, they don't want to feel like they're missing out on anything. You know, I, I can speak for, you know, Black Americans, not everyone, but there's, there is a historical distrust with the healthcare system. So they may not want to think something's being taken away or withheld if there's already distrust. So it boils down to what, what disease process are we dealing with, right? Go back to the mm-hmm. COPD we just mentioned or the heart failure. We know what it's doing. And I think it goes back to the education. You know, yeah. you, you got the diagnosis. What, how long does, does it typically go? You know, Alzheimer's is another one. You know, when I get the patients, I'll ask, you know, did you, did a neurologist tell you like how this is going to go? And some people will say no. And I don't know if that's true. I'm not I'm not, you know, picking yeah. on anyone here, sure. but they, it's like they didn't know that right. this was going to lead to being bed bound, incontinent, not talking, not eating, and all the things that we see uh, when we're at the hospice stage. And so, um, you know, it's just having those conversations early, which your curriculum's yeah. doing, and then so they're not surprised or feel like you know, they're being abandoned by the healthcare system, because I know some people when they get there, they're like, you know, a daughter, they just want their mom to get some IV fluids or get that UTI treated. Um, They have a stage four sacral ulcer. And it's like, no one's talking to them. You know, it's talking. Conversate, we need to be conversation champions. Absolutely. Um, And exactly like you said, too, assessing how the patients and families like their information delivered, right? Some people, it's small chunks. Some people, they, you know, might have a different strategy where they want all the information up front and then digest and ask more questions later. So to be able to, to, you know, ask the patient how they like their information delivered and also sense that is a, is a whole nother topic in and of itself, but very important as well. Yeah. Well, then the third part of our content that you can teach, you know, they can do this the first three weeks of residency, um, how to identify the legal decision maker and their synonyms with that. Some places mm-hmm. call it a surrogate decision maker, a healthcare proxy, a, what is it? A, a DPOA, all these mm-hmm. words, just, just be simple. If you cannot make decisions, who do you trust to make those decisions for you? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And one of the things that I found so confusing is the state where I went to medical school and then the state where I trained in residency had inverse definitions of what surrogate was and what proxy was, meaning one term meant the person you appointed and then the other term meant the person that it falls to by law if no one's been appointed. And I was like, well, how do I figure this out? These terms are all so confusing. So for our listeners, I would say if you're at all confused about what the laws are in your state or what certain terms mean, you can certainly reach out to your social workers. They are excellent resources. Rely on the interdisciplinary team to point you in the right direction to help educate you about the laws in your state. And then you can always look up those laws. So for me, I trained in Florida for my residency. They have a very clear healthcare proxy law on who it falls to by law if there's no designated person that the patient has said, this is the person I want. So just a a little tidbit for everybody out there, rely on your interdisciplinary team members because they can be super helpful in these areas as well. 
Yeah. And if you're not in the hospital or on palliative or any of that, Mm -hmm. the NHPCO, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization has a beautiful website called Caring Info. I'll put that in the show notes and you can look up those things too. And they have state specific information. Um, I think that's great. So I wish everyone the best in residency, uh, intern year, the transitional year and all the things people are doing. Do you have any Mm -hmm. advice since you were a successful chief resident? Advice, I would say embrace every opportunity you have with every patient and every mentor and learn, 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 soak up the knowledge. That's what I found, you know, especially an intern year, ask the questions. If you're not sure what a term is, I messed up the proxy term, right? Ask, ask, ask. That's the most important thing you can do in the beginning. And then as you progress through your training for the chief residents, be advocates. If if something doesn't, you know, if there is a certain area that you feel like your residents need to learn more about, you are the advocate to bring those resources in, to bestow that on the, the trainees at your program. So empower yourself to do that. Those are my two yeah. words of advice. Thank you. It's such a privilege, you know, to, to have that. And I wish you the best in your fellowship. Um, I hope your whole fellowship team gets to go to the annual assembly next year and we'll have some more fun. Yes, I'll be there. I'll see you there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to Dr. G at the Heart of Healthcare. I have a special guest here. This is our episode 12 for the incoming interns and even the old residents, you can you can watch it too, chief residents. You don't have to tell anybody, but this is our special edition since July 1st is around the corner. I have my friend that I met in Montreal. Uh, if you remember episode three, when I talked about the annual assembly for the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, I had a wonderful time. And this is one of my friends from Team Poutine. <laughs> so introduce <laughs> yourself. <laughs> Hi there. Um, so my name is Michelle. I'm current uh, third year uh, chief resident of internal medicine at the University of South Florida, and I just graduated. Uh, so on July 1st, I'll be headed to Hospice and Palliative Care Fellowship at, at Beth Israel uh, Deaconess, the Harvard program in Boston. I'm so <laughs> Thank happy you so for much. You. Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. You're such a leader in our field. And, um, you know, we met because of Team Poutine. Obviously, we were first timers at that reception, mm-hmm. but you presented a poster and I got so excited about it. Like it was amazing. Um, and this touches on something that I've been trying to advocate for uh, primary palliative care. When I was in residency, I remember asking if the director of palliative could give us a noon conference. Um, But every year I go, mandate CAPSI, mandate CAPSI. That's my Mm -hmm. way of saying there should be some kind of training for for the interns to have the goals of care conversation, the code status conversation, something before day one. And so I hope this episode equips them. So let's tell everybody about that research that you did and why you did it. Yeah, absolutely. And what you said exactly resonates with exactly why I wanted to even start to do the project. I remember being a medical student and I had no idea 
what palliative care was, what goals of care were until my fourth year when I did a rotation on inpatient palliative care. And I went, wow, this is amazing. This is why I wanted to do medicine in the first place, but I had no formal training, you know, whatsoever before going to residency. So when I got into residency, I approached my program director at my institution and I asked her, you know, do we have a formal education for the residents, particularly the interns in having these kinds of conversations? We're expected to do them, but do we have formal training? And she told me that, you know, that that really didn't exist yet. And so I said, well, great, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Um, And so the basis of my whole project and my residency was really trying to equip equip residents with the skills that they need to have successful goals of care conversations with the patients that they're going to be seeing, particularly in the intern year. Um, And so we spent a lot of time doing role playing with various scenarios, talking about what is hospice, what is palliative care, um, going over some communication strategies for having these conversations, and then also talking about how do you identify a patient's decision maker um, and educating the residents about how to do that based on which state they're training in. Um, I remember when I I was an intern, I had a little bit of a oopsie moment where I was talking to a family member who was always present, who seemed like they were a decision maker, but who in fact was not. And I learned a lot from that. So Mm. those were the kind of the major tenets of my project and wanting to bestow that knowledge on the residents as they progress and are in these you know, roles where they're expected to be able to do these things. Absolutely. And so when I promote this, I'm going to show everyone our boomerang that we made. Because I remember you said, you know, you wouldn't just send an intern in there to do a lap coli or do an appy. Like you wouldn't do that. That's our little thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It was so funny. And so I said, we might have to bring that. But it's the same thing. You know, our skill is, our our procedure is conversations, difficult Mm -hmm. conversations. One of my friends, you know, my, my personal friends are getting into my podcast and one of them complimented me. And I'm not tooting my own horn, but she was like, um, you know, you really lean into hard things and bring mm-hmm. the compassion and wisdom, um, something she said. And, and that's what we all do. That's our work. And I don't think people recognize that. Like, we're not just trying to make patients, you know, the public withdraw care. We never withdraw care. Um, not, not take care of themselves, just go off in the corner and wither away and die. That is not what palliative care is. We fill in the gap in the late stages of life, um, Mm -hmm. with the type of care that you need to focus on when your time is limited. And unfortunately people do not get referred early enough, nor do they know about it soon enough, or, or they don't, they don't understand it and they don't, they don't Mm -hmm. come so we can give them the care and so they don't benefit from it. But so I'm so glad that, you know, we can teach these new doctors how to have these conversations and hopefully they can do it in their clinics, you know, that Mm -hmm. advanced care planning and advanced directive and, and pass on some resources. Um, If I did an episode um, on national healthcare decisions day, which is the day after tax day. And that's an initiative that 
someone, a lawyer created so people can take things into their own hands for their advanced directives. But they mm-hmm. need the doctors to explain, you know, what's going on. Like, when are we at the end stages of heart failure? When right. are we at the end stages of Alzheimer's and COPD? Like, when should we, you know, go to hospice when we have an ALS diagnosis? So those are some things that I want the new doctors to have in their mind so they can facilitate the conversation. So that's what you've been doing, huh? Yeah. And I think that, you know, my hope was that the training would at least provide a baseline in, in having these discussions. And one of the big things that we talk about in the training is I've seen a lot of people ask, you know, is it okay if I consult palliative care? But we never ask is it okay to consult other specialties, right? We just, we need the expertise of that specialty. And so we consult them. So I encourage, you know, everyone that's in the training that, that I developed is um, if you need palliative care expertise, that's what you say. You say to the family, this is a team of specialists that I'm calling in. Here's what they do. They'll be by to talk to you and you don't need to have that permission. And I think that once families understand and once the, the the learners understand truly what the role is of palliative care, that becomes so much more seamless. Yeah, that's good. And this is going to take a shift in our entire healthcare system because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, to, to the attendings defense or the team's defense, um, you know, you don't want to perpetuate the misconceptions of what we do. You mm-hmm. know, um, I was in a summit with doctors and I'm not going to name what it was. And I asked one of them uh, about their own cancer treatment. And I asked a doctor, a physician, um, did you benefit from palliative care for the symptoms you were having? She was like, no, oh my gosh, like, no way. I was so focused on getting better. I didn't want them. And I was like, mm. so, yeah, so many tough. misconceptions um, and fear. And mm-hmm. um, we just do what we can get get the newbies equipped, right? Exactly. And, yes. and what you said too about you know identifying who may benefit from palliative care, I think that still is is something that I'm learning every day. And I think that's one of the great things that hopefully this this generation of of new doctors that we're speaking to will be able to capture as well. I, I had a recent experience when I was on a hospitalist rotation where a patient had been hospitalized four or five times, you know, for COPD. And it was kind of like, you know, let's do more steroids, let's do more oxygen. And then you kind of sit there and you're like, wait a minute, where are we, where are we going? Right. Mm-hmm. And how can we, let's sit down and, and chat with what's important to the patient. And that that's really, you know, the, the essence of it. And that's what I hoped to use the training, you know, to bestow on, on the residents that that I was training is you, you're really just having a human to human conversation about what's important. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with palliative care in the first place. Yeah. And, and about COPD, I treat COPD exacerbations in my hospice patients. You know, there's some that come on, on, you know, antibiotics, they take a couple times a week. So it's about having the conversations and to everyone listening, uh, we're going to go back to you know, learn about the research, but if someone mm-hmm. has COPD, you're looking at their number of hospitalizations, right? Let's say they've been hospitalized five times in the past year, um, and now they're having trouble getting around. They're, they're not rebounding with the physical therapy you uh, have 
you know, prescribed to them on this charge. They're eating less, they're losing weight. Um, they're, they're, they're sundowning. Mm -hmm. That's like the whole CTI right there that I would write the certification of terminal illness. And mm -hmm. again, that doesn't mean that they're leaving us um, right away, but it means we're, we're managing it at home. And uh, that's just a little bit about that. So is your research something that if, if a program director is listening or chief resident, something they can apply right away in their program? So I think that there was a lot that I did working with the palliative care attendings at my program to create the curriculum. Um, but we use some key elements that you know, most people will become familiar with or are already familiar with and in the serious illness conversation guide, right? In CAPSI and pulling content from that. Um, so we pulled a lot of those resources to create scripts of our own that we thought were very high yield to the types of patients that the residents are seeing and would continue to be seeing throughout their training. Um, but basically what we did is we did a lot of work with um, pre and post surveys to assess our um, learners response to the three different areas that um, we were focusing on. So what is hospice, what is palliative care, your, their comfort level with leading a goals of care conversation, and then their comfort level with identifying the correct decision maker for a patient. Um, and what we found was actually kind of startling that um, approximately half of the residents uh, had no formal experience with palliative care prior to the didactic itself. Um, and specifically in medical school, they had no real organized experience with palliative care or, or training in these types of content areas. Um, and then as we moved through the didactic, we did two-hour sessions with um, different resident groups. The first year we did all three years uh, to try and capture everybody. So if you're a third year, like you said, a chief resident or, or you know, a fourth year chief resident or a second year, uh, you know, uh, trying to fly and learn how to be a senior resident, uh, really any level of resident could benefit from the training. But the following year, we focused just on interns to really capture them and, and what they would be experiencing. Um, and the confidence level of the residents at the end of the didactic and in, in actually leading a goals of care conversation was over 90% felt very confident um, or confident. So yeah, so I think that just speaks to um, really you know, if you have dedicated time and training on these things, like you would for a paracentesis or a thoracentesis, and we have workshops on those things, that you can come out of it with a skill set that you will then use in real life. And that, to me, was the most valuable part was seeing, um, you know, my, my co-residents actually using some of the tools and tricks that we had talked about in real life on real patients. And that that meant the most. Oh, my gosh. Like, I we got to get this out to them so they can, they can use this. The title of the research just for everyone following. And I hope I can, mm -hmm. you know, we'll post um, some points in the show notes yeah. and maybe the chief residents can do it, but it was entitled the impact of organized palliative didactic curriculum on internal medicine, resident comfort with topics in palliative care. And that's what this whole episode is about. Um, not just mandate CAPC, even though CAPC has so many free resources. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the membership is amazing. And, and the communication skills uh, designation, I believe that should be required 
for, for any any new doctor because you even if you don't go into palliative you're going to be sent to the emergency room to do that admission you got to fill out the code status you know you're going to be on ccu you're going to be on icu you're going to run codes and then they're going to say hey go call the daughter in the mm -hmm. middle of the code how and do you that do actually, that right and that actually happened to my co-intern um, and i in july intern year a code and go call the family and we were like what how why what do we do that makes me yeah. nervous and obviously i've done that a ton but mm -hmm. i'm nervous for them absolutely absolutely Ooh. and yeah. one of the other unique things about the the project and the timing of it all too was that while i was in the midst of developing this the acgme actually added a requirement into the residency requirements for proficiency in end-of-life conversations which i thought was outstanding and so one yeah. of the things that i worked with my program director on is we had a platform where we put in like you know how many paracentesis do we do how many thoras how many central lines and and goals of care conversations became a checklist item that we were expected to be proficient in which was wonderful oh my gosh that's so great yeah and i think oh. that should be standardized right across all yeah. the residencies oh yes whoever's watching send this to the powers that be <laughs> for yeah, sure we'll tag, them. we'll tag them on social media acgme caps yes. let's get this together let's you know we have such a crisis in our healthcare system we have what they call the silver wave coming um we need to be able to have these conversations, not just internal medicine residents, even though, you know, we love internal medicine, surgery residents, you know, mm -hmm. all of them, all yes. of us need the information, um, you know, so that is fantastic. Um, well, I, I, I am excited to just put this out there so that we can help these folks. I actually came across a blog post from, um, uh, Colorado University about code status discussion, and it was bleak, bleak stats on, you know, mm -hmm. if we're really using our skill of prognostication as physicians, you know, we diagnose, we treat, and we prognosticate. We study for all those years because we know the trajectory of disease, and we know when there's a decline. So, you know, anyone who's listening to this, you know, there's no reason to feel ashamed or afraid um to have the conversation um it, it's just just kind of being honest with them and and you know maybe send them to the conversation project to do the worksheet um on you know what matters most to them some of those things can kind of get the ball rolling amongst the family um so that they can get their goals goals of care aligned so we want to take care of everyone who comes to hospitals we're grateful for hospitals but we also want to make people end well like we don't want someone to spend the last year of their hospital the, the last year of their life in the hospital six times like that's right. just, something's wrong with that i mm -hmm. don't think families would would plan for that either so i think we covered everything did you want to say Absolutely. anything else to the audience i think one more thing that i would say is if there's not a dedicated palliative care curriculum or um you know particular training at your institution that is okay and to empower yourself 
whoever you are in whatever role you are to ask for a guest speaker or to ask for a workshop or to ask whatever it is that you need to feel more comfortable in this content area. Um, you know, I think that that's so important and, and, you know, it didn't exist where I was yet, but, you know, we all work together as a team to create it. And so, you know, as a busy resident, I was able to do it, right? Every, everyone can. I think that it's, it's really about identifying that need in your institution and then also within yourself. If you're feeling like this is something you need more information on, just reach out to someone and they can point you in the right direction because it's a really important topic area. Absolutely, absolutely. So we had the story, we had the mm -hmm. education. Now you will be empowered with the tools we're going to post here. So we are going to have a link to some resources um, from Dr. Michelle and mm -hmm. also CAPSI. So maybe your program can have a group membership and people can work on getting designated and communication skills. Um, and also, uh, I want to recommend an app. Uh, there's only one hospice that has an app that you can download. And it's not that I'm promoting that particular company. It's because it's an easy way for you to see eligibility, unless you want to read the, uh, the Medicare guidelines, because I do have a link <laughs> to that. In episode one, you can learn about hospice, but just so you can frame the diagnoses that are common, um, commonly eligible for hospice care, the VTOS healthcare app. Anybody can download it. You have so many resources. You can look up the PPS, the palliative performance scale. Mm -hmm. They have an opioid calculator and they have all the diseases there. You know, the, the ALS, they have Alzheimer's and they have all the things listed that you would look for to know when someone has a terminal decline, when they're at the end stages of their life, when they have a limited prognosis. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but I would recommend that, you know, you download it and then you just have it. They also have free webinars uh, where you mm. can get your CME and I go to all of them and I, yeah, I go to all of them. They're <laughs> amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. And so anyway, that's what I have for you guys today. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad I met you in Montreal. Me too. That was an incredible time. And I loved meeting you there. We had a little, yeah. a little moment. <laughs> no, we're not doing this anymore. We're doing embracing and equipping them so they can do Love what it. they got to do. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for joining and everyone take care. Thank you. Please visit our website, morningdovemedical.com, or any of our social media platforms to ask questions and make requests for future shows. Spread the word by sharing episodes and let's make the culture hospice friendly. Our podcast can be enjoyed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Bullhorn, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. Please subscribe and share. Peace.